You're listening to Random Fit with hosts Wendy Batts and Ken Miller, winner of a Gold Markham Award for Digital Media. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Random Fit. I am Wendy Batts here with my friend and co-host, Ken Miller. Ken, how are you? I'm awesome, Wendy. How are you doing? You're looking good. I am so good and really, really excited about today's topic. Um, we do have a very special guest. So do you want to go ahead and introduce her so we can bring her on? Yes. Uh, on this episode of Random Fit, we're going to bring on Miss uh, Gigi Pollock, who um, great presenter, great practitioner. She works uh, along with a previous guest of ours with Institute of Motion. She's going for a PhD and she is a professor at university. So let's go and bring on Miss Gigi Pollock. Hi, Gigi. Hi. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for being oh, here. Pleasure, yeah. um, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and kick off the first question. So Gigi, I know that you specialize a lot, especially in with females and the hips. And I get a ton of questions from my friends, my coworkers, and, along with, you know, clients who always ask, you know, what, is there a big difference between a man's body and a woman's body without it being just the obvious? Um, especially when it comes to working out and it really does revolve around the hips. So can you kind of tell us the difference, please? Okay. So first of all, women have wider hips in general. Um, and that leads to structure and function. And then within the female hip, there are four different types of hips. Um, so I can go through the anatomical differences if that's what you'd like to hear. Um, such as, the uh, a wider um, false pelvis, right? And then the true pelvis is where that host of organs is actually shallower uh, for females. And the reason being is for childbirth, right? Um, there are other things that are different, such as, I'm gonna, I, I wrote some notes here, like the, the pubic angle is a lot wider in females compared to males. Um, and it is more V-shaped um, in males. Um, and I, wanna, I don't want to say it's more W-shaped than females, but it is a lot wider. Um, also, a female's hips are more oval, where a male's hips are more heart-shaped. Um, and then the hip sockets, you know, are a lot shallower in females. So that's, in structure, that is the main difference um, in males and females. Um, and then, um, also I'm looking here so I don't have, forget my talking points. Um, within the female hip, we actually go through a lot of structural changes throughout a lifetime, whereas males really do not go as many structural changes. For example, um, a young girl will have, start with narrow hips. And then when she enters puberty, um, what's called the Tanner stages, her hips start to widen and all the bones change and grow at different rates, um, which affects the way she moves. Um, and then if a woman decides to have a baby during those child, you know, bearing years, they go from getting wider to trying to go back to getting narrower, right? In the postpartum phase. And then interestingly enough, there's a lot of physiological changes that happen throughout the menstrual cycle and throughout, you know, pregnancy and postpartum that affect the hip. Um, 
And then menopausal changes happen with the physiology that affect the hip, affect, you know, the hip sockets and the hip joint uh, that predispose women to a lot more um, um, maladies in the hip. And then also, it's interesting how post-menopause, a female's hip just becomes narrower, um, much like a man's, but still a little bit wider. So there's a lot going on in the female hip. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, and and getting you on Random Fit uh, today talking about building unbreakable hips, that was the title of the presentation that you did recently in Anaheim, or I'm uh, sorry, at in Los Angeles, sorry, no, same general area. Um, exactly. But, yeah, but, you know, very much personal and selfish reasons. I wanted to have you on board because you know, in that presentation, you talked about just what you talked about right now with the anatomy of the hips and, you know, cue angle is, is something that comes up a lot when it comes to personal training and how we would work with a female, uh, you know, as far as addressing their specific structures. Can you tell us more about the importance of understanding the cue angle and what that does mean if you're able to observe differences between one person to the next as far as that specific term, because it's something that gets brought up to me. And I just mm -hmm. want to understand what the Q angle is and what it means as far as how do we address that? So first of all, the Q angle is defined as the area that the line that comes from the patellar tendon up to the um, quadricep tendon. And the wider a female's hips are, the, the greater the Q angle. And the greater the Q angle, the greater amount of, um, I guess, sheer force can happen to a female if she were to do cutting maneuvers. So she is more susceptible to knee injury, um, ACL injury with a greater Q angle. And I'm going to say that uh, with an asterisk because although a female has a greater Q angle, I mean, that is that predisposes her to greater ACL injury, but it also depends on the type of training that she's doing, right? So that can be prevented and, you know, strengthening those uh, muscles that help stabilize the knee, um, the hip, the strengthening the muscles that cross the hip and knee joint in itself. So. So Gigi, I have a question because you you know when you were talking about the differences, obviously, and the changes that our lovely hips have to go through throughout our lives, you know, obviously menopause is or is a is a big thing that happens towards you know towards the end. I don't want to say the end of our life because again, I'm a probably almost towards that stage, and I have a lot of life left. However, sure. you know, when we are going through um, the menstrual cycle, starting you know at the ages of anywhere from 14 to 16, depending on the female you know, when you're working out, that can obviously change just for that short period in a week. So can you kind of talk us through what's happening, especially at the hips during that time of the month for us? Well, I think what, you know, we talk about anatomy and we talk about muscles, but I think what sometimes we forget is how much the physiology, the chemistry of the body really affects the tendons, the muscles, the ligaments, and the bone structure. So that's the first and foremost thing. So throughout the menstrual cycle, you know, there are undulations of, I'm going to speak specifically of estrogen and progesterone um, and how those changes can, can affect the hip. For example, um, in the first phase of the menstrual cycle, when estrogen is lowest 
and progesterone is, is still low, but higher compared to um, estrogen, there are physiological changes that are driven by those hormones. Estrogen is considered an antioxidant. So it helps, as been shown in studies, to help re with recovery methods, of, you know, recovery of the muscles and tissues. Um, progesterone, interestingly enough, has been correlated with higher rates of cortisol levels and higher rates of pro-inflammatory substance. So you take a little bit higher cortisol, lower estrogen, and then the stuff, the chemistry within the hip changes itself. So there's an increased amount of um, pro-inflammatory substances that drive the signaling of other substances that increase pain in the hip. Uh, prostaglandins are huge and they're pain producing substances that happen in the hip and can lead to um, muscle, uh, menstrual cramps. They can lead to hip pain. They can lead to muscle aches. So I think it's important to realize that these things happen um, in a woman's body and they're not phantom feelings. So within that, so I'm just talking about the first phase, you know, first few days of the menstrual cycle, which is our days one through seven, depending on a um, female, it could be one through four when those, um, levels are lower. I'm going to go back a little bit to the premenstrual phase, which are considered days anywhere between days 21 to 28, right before a female gets her period. So in the, during that phase, Estrogen is starting to dip, but there are peak levels of progesterone. And as I said earlier, peak levels of progesterone are correlated with higher levels of cortisol, which increase the signaling of pro-inflammatory substances, which then again, increase the signaling of, um, you know, pain substances. Um, so there's a reason a woman gets PMS symptoms such as edema, you know, <laughs> more muscle cramps, food cravings, because those, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of things that happen within, within the changes in physiology due to the hormones. Um, it's, it's such a, it's such a rabbit hole <laughs> to say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just remember during your, your presentation, you, you went into the cycle and you had the, the charts and, and explaining the, the effects over, over that over the over that month um but the the one thing as as a male trainer who, who i and i work with uh females from junior high into um you know the active aging 65 plus so to 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 the points that you bring up you know one of the things that i'm getting more comfortable and i've been doing this for you know for more than a few years now as far as addressing okay how you know how are we where are we in the menstrual cycle? not we but where are you in your menstrual cycle? you can say we you know, it's okay yeah well because yeah, we're in the same room uh, yeah. <laughs> but how would that how does that affect the training session so just generally if i understand that okay we're within that time frame where someone's experiencing cramps what other considerations should i keep in mind when it comes to our training session outside of the fact that you might be a little uncomfortable with with cramps but what should the how should the workout reflect your current physiological state because when you talk about laxity joint laxity and st stability through through the joints um, what are some of the considerations that a fitness professional needs to consider when training somebody during their during that cycle 
during PMS and during, you know, PMS, uh, all of that. Low, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, dur yeah, during the heightened amounts of, I guess, uh, physiological stress. So one thing that's also to keep in mind, and you um, explained, you know, you talked about joint laxity, I think um, that's not commonly thought of sometimes. Um, mm -hmm. It's interesting right. that all these hormones peak at different levels, right? And then it's interesting how joint laxity increases uh, right after, right around the PMS phase, like days 21 to 28, depending on the female, right? Um, it peaks, uh, there's a hormone called relaxin and relaxin loosens up the joints. The body is so smart, right? So right after progesterone um, peaks, relaxin also peaks, um, to loosen up the ligaments and joints. So that's something to keep in mind when a female is being trained. Um, and I think what's also not commonly known is that um, increases increased levels of relaxin also increase levels of um, a substance that degenerates the cartilage, right? So if you're adding a lot of intensity and that cartilage is getting degenerated um, that called called collagenase, then you might want to think about how to modify that intensity relative to how that, you know, female is feeling. And keep in mind also, not all females feel that way. The, although 80% do, there are the lucky 20% that don't feel that, right? Um, so it's important to think about that intensity relative to where that female is in that cycle. I mean, we always, you know, talk about meeting your client where they're at, right, in order to produce a, a um, good session for them. I think that's a huge um, thing to keep in mind um, during that time. Yeah, I mean, it's it I mean, it's a, just the, the the evolution of the conversation when, when it comes to to my female clients, because I, I don't know if I've, I don't want to say I've got them trained, but they now they know that, you know, if it's the night before or leading up to our training session, they'll, they'll, they'll message me and say, Hey, I started my, I started my period yesterday. Right. So that oh, when, that's so awesome. Yeah. So yeah. now when we train, it's a matter of, okay, well, we're not going to do, you know, muscular development. We're not going to do power um, that day, but let's work on more stability, some more strength endurance or, or stability endurance that day, just to accommodate for a while. I don't want, you know, heavy explosive jumps, depth jumps, heavy weights and things like that on, at a time where you're least likely to, you know, able to stabilize over that, over that time frame. So thanks that's for that. Smart. No, that's smart. And also I think something to keep in mind when you're, when you're thinking about that is also, it's going to, it may be tougher to recover for that female during that. So after, if you do decide to do an intense session, say, because of, you know, programming needs or where she is in her season, right? It's important to keep in mind that recovery is going to be maybe more compromised during that time because of the low levels of hormones, right? So um, I think it's smart to have them, you know, let you know if they've started their period, if they're PMSing, because a lot of um, coaches don't do that. So um, it, it sets them up for success later on in life. Um, so that's so cool. <laughs> I think that's so cool. <laughs> and well, today on Random Fit, myself, Wendy Batts is, you know, here with my co-host, Ken Miller, and we have a very special guest. We have Gigi Pollock joining us, and we are talking about the um, building unbreakable hips right now. We are getting into the menstrual cycle and what's happening with female bodies. 
those men listening need to pay close attention because it really is a thing. Um, but Gigi, I have a question too, because, you know, I have, I've sat into a bunch of different sessions and with you being a female trainer, as well as myself and getting into round tables and people talking as a coach. So if you're, if you're a female coach or if you're a male coach needing female advice, and you have a team of, you know, 15 to 20 girls, and it doesn't matter if they're lacrosse or cross, cross country swimmers, whatever the case may be. Obviously, you know, they say when you hang around together, maybe you'll start at the same time, but that's obviously not always the case. So what would what's your advice to a coach um, who is working with female teams or doing boot camps if they're a trainer because everyone's different? So what would your suggestion be for that? I think I know it's hard to customize if you're doing, you know, a group, right? And, you know, if they're playing a sport and depending on their season, right, you're going to have the, an intense period and then a less intense period, depending on their season and depending on their sport. Or I think it's important to have that person communicate with you. Um, that's going to be huge as to hopefully they feel comfortable um, as to where they are um that day um and you know there are a lot of studies that show that females have a difficult time communicating their experience particularly with male coaches and they're less likely to communicate with male coaches compared to female coaches which makes sense right um there are a lot of cultural issues you know and personalities that have to do with that right and how the menstrual cycle is introduced to that female. So that has to do with how, you know, they're able to communicate that. But if they are in a group setting, it's important to keep those lines of communication open with that individual. And then, you know, don't be afraid to modify that intensity and tell that client, you know, or that person, it's okay not to be as intense as compared to other females. Or if there's something you can regress, you know, that day for that female it, and let them know it's okay. Um, particularly if they have that athletic mindset, you know, that's sometimes hard to turn off and they're just kind of want to, you know, perform as well as the others and push themselves. Right. Even, and, but understanding that's okay to be less intense and still do the workout is really important to communicate. I think. Well, and I'm going to throw this out there. So if anyone's listening, when we were on this round table, one suggestion that we've had, and when I used to work mainly with females, um, we were working a lot with female Olympic or pole vaulters and mm -hmm. they, they were older. So they were very open and I'm a female. However, when they went to their male coaches, one suggestion that we made that actually worked. So if you guys are listening and thinking, what am I going to do? And I have a bunch of, you know, younger children or kids that do not feel comfortable is you can buy really cute bracelets like jelly bracelets or something. And there's a specific color that they'll wear that day when they're on their period. So if they don't feel like open communication and they can't talk to their coach or they're embarrassed about it, they just wear that bracelet. Everybody on the team knows what the color means, but other people around them don't. And it allows the coach to see, oh, hey, the woman's accessorizing. However, I know what that means. And so it was, it was a good suggestion that was made. We've done it and it worked out great, especially with our high school athletes. So just wanted to throw that out there that, uh, you know, I think Andy Hanley, who is also one of our uh, master instructors, he does that as well. And when he made that suggestion, I had heard it from other people and it really does work and it allows people to be more open minded. 
That is so smart. I, that is, that is brilliant. So I've, I've oh, never heard of that. Girl. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> I love it. Hip, it's all about the bracelets. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. Now, now I got to go to Pinterest and uh, look up uh, the <laughs> type of bracelet. There you go. Here's... You do... <laughs> Put this that on when you need to. One's for moody, one's for being on a period, one's having a great day. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> So, so that let's, so you know, again, you, you did a great job. Again, I can't, I can't talk about your, your presentation enough. Um, Thank you. But the, the, the one thing that, that you, you know, you, you broke down the hormonal fluctuations over the month, the, the different shapes of the pelvis, but, you know, with the science there, there's always going to be myths that, fitness professionals, especially academics and professors like yourself, Gigi, that you're always, I'm sure you're, you have your list of frequently asked questions that you're like, no, that's not exactly true. So when it comes to the resistance training part, again, you had a great workout, again, male or female, the, the workout that you did with the Viper Pros as a group was was awesome. And I, I felt my hips moving in ways that, that um, I don't usually challenge them in the gym, but what are some of the what are some of the uh, the myths that we need to have a better grasp on when it comes to resistance training and the female? Okay, so first of all, I think this is the biggest myth in females and why they don't want resistance training or you know weight training is that they're going to bulk up like men. I don't want to be bulky. I've heard that through many, right. many years. And I, and there are a lot of, you know, I'm going to say old school women, my age, right. Who still believe that. And I think I'm, I'm glad that it's changing um, to see more and more young women um, starting to resistance strain that you will not bulk up because first of all, within the physiology of women, we don't have the same amount of testosterone as men to produce that amount of hypertrophy. So we have like one tenth to one fifteenth of that of men. So we will never. I I, I don't like to use superlatives because there are some very strong women out there, you know. That, um, but we will not bulk up as much as men. Um, caveat is there are some women uh, with PCOS who have higher amounts of testosterone, right? Uh, but the, yet, you know it's still less compared to men. Um, another thing to keep in mind is, you know, when we resistance train, women produce, you know, everyone produces growth hormone. Interesting enough, there's a lot of studies that show that growth hormone uh, is more effective in women when there are higher levels of estrogen. So it is interesting to know that hypertrophy doesn't happen at the same rate when estrogen levels are lower. So I, I don't want to say, well, what's the point, right? Um, so doing different types of, of, of workouts during um, lower levels of estrogen are okay, you know, not to produce that growth hormone. Um, so that is a huge um, misconception in women that they're going to bulk up as much. Um, second of all, um, that it's okay to feel less strong in certain workouts. You know, I think in general, women compare themselves to other females, right? Why am I not as strong? Why am I not able to lift as much? Well, if you're in a different phase of your menstrual cycle, um, estrogen is interesting because it helps 
with the, you know, if I'm gonna go geek out uh, actin, myosin chains. Um, so it helps produce that contraction, muscle contraction. So if there are lower levels of estrogen, that muscular contraction is not going to be as, as strong because of the way estrogen acts on regulating the amount of calcium that's released to produce that actin myosin um, contraction. Interestingly enough, estrogen really acts directly on that heavy chain of myosin. So if you have lower levels of estrogen, you're not going to feel as strong. So it's okay to feel less strong during certain workouts. So give yourself that permission to maybe go lighter or, you know what I mean? Do less reps or do higher. You know what I mean? So that, you know, those, those are the, I think two greatest ones. Um, and then the other one is allow yourself amount, a good amount of recovery, especially when there are lower levels of estrogen um, or promote other recovery schemes that help, you know, during those levels of low estrogen. So. So what, what kind of schemes are you, or, or would you recommend then? So outside of, um, you know, just take the day off. So what, what kind of recovery strategies would, would, would you have your clients do? Um, nutrition is huge. I never under, underestimate the value of nutrition, you know, getting the right amount of protein, getting the right amount of, uh, fruits and vegetables for the antioxidants, because when you work out, right, you produce what's called reactive reactive oxygen species. So those are things that promote degeneration of the muscle. So getting enough fruits and vegetables that have a lot of antioxidant properties are going to be really important and getting them out of protein to help that recovery of um, the muscle. Um, that's, that's the best and easiest way to recover. Um, and it's not, um, I think, thought of enough. I mean, there's other things you can do, like besides take the day off, like, you know, go in the water and, um, you know, get rid of the edema and walk in the water, um, red light therapy, massage, uh, but really nutrition is the biggest and most low tech way to promote that recovery. So. I love it. And on Random Fit today, we're talking about building unbreakable hips with myself, Ken Miller, myself, Wendy Bats, and Ken Miller. And we have a special guest, Gigi Pollock. And Gigi, you've talked to us about so much great information. And I actually, because I could keep you here all day, just, you know, geeking out, as you say, being a female with all the questions that I get. However, I think my final question that I have for you is what are the top three things that women should be doing to make their hips unbreakable? Top three things. Actually, I thought of four. <laughs> uh, so, okay, sorry. That's the okay. fourth one. I'm going to start with the fourth one. Move. You got to move. Because if you're not moving your hips, man, that's it's just not going to work your way because other things are affected. You know, help, the hip helps translate um, so many movement patterns. You can't move it out your hips. So move so that you don't feel like you're creaky. Uh, second of all is move in different planes of motion with load. Um, I love mo moving in a sagittal plane. They're very effective, but moving in a transverse plane, you know, um, is really important for the hips uh, to help move the mus musculature. And also uh, because of what it does to the pelvic floor muscles. Um, women are more predisposed to um, having weaker pelvic floor muscles. Um, and also um, the other thing is work on your hip mobility. So I think that's going to be really important for, for females and then work on good recovery schemes for the hip.
Awesome. They're my top okay. top four. I, all right. Lips don't it. lie, according to Shakira, guys. I'm telling you. Well, they exactly, they don't. <laughs> I know, right? She, she knew she knew what she was talking about when she wrote that song because they really yeah, don't. I feel like move my hips like that, and I would really like to see Ken try as well. That could be that could maybe be a podcast in itself, you know. That's an art form in itself, moving your hips yeah, that way. So. No, it actually comes from mid. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, it actually comes at movement. I, I mean, although you need the hips, the mid back um, is I heard that because I have one of my children They're, you know, I have three boys and they're going to kill me, but one of them can, can move that way. <laughs> Mom, it's actually from the mid back. I'm like, Oh, it is. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't be able to walk for a couple of days if I tried anything like that. Uh, but so, so let me ask you that, you know, we mentioned earlier that, you know, Again, your relationship with the Institute of Motion and you're an academic um, teaching multiple topics within the field of exercise science. So if anyone, if anyone wanted to find out more information about what you just shared with us regarding females, strength conditioning, um, the different, the, the, the lifespan and the different considerations, where would somebody go to find out more about what you have to teach? Um, as far as my teaching, well, I do have a program, um, that runs under the Institute of Motion under the AWHPS, uh, it's another three that talks about the hormonal patterns and what happens to the body and how to program, uh, throughout the stages of, um, a female's life. So I have that, um, the other things, there's a lot of great resources, uh, from academics themselves. Um, one of my favorites are Stanford has what's called the faster program, F A S T R. Um, it's a female athlete translational research program. So what they do is they take the research and translate it for, uh, coaches. Um, that's a great, and, um, that's a great, great, uh, resource. Um, there is also a lot of, um, conferences, right. That I attend and go to, to kind of keep up to date, um, on a lot of things. There's a conference that runs every other year called the female athlete program. That's in Boston. That's a great one. It's, um, they focus on female athletes, um, a lot of elite athletes, but you know, those who are physically active are also supported in the research. Um, and gosh, there's a book by Christine Yu called Up to Speed that talks a lot about the, the things that happen to the female body um, and the lag in research. And then, you know, Jason Karp has a really good book that he put out called Run Like a Woman. So it's about endurance programming um, based on a menstrual cycles. That's a really good book. So I, those are some resources that I, I highly recommend uh, for people to read. Um, and gosh, there's, I mean, if I showed you my library of stuff that I have, <laughs> I have a lot of books, so if they want some textbooks, you know, they can also, you know, feel free to find me on, um, on Twitter or, you know, um, Instagram, um, Facebook, I'm on all those social media platforms that they can message me. And if they want some more information, because although I have, I'm, I'm learning a lot, there's still so much more to learn. Um, if you look at research, if you look at research, only sports and science literature have 39% of women as participants, but they don't always cover the female physiology and about maybe 6% actually covers 
female physiology. And within that, there isn't a consistency in the way they are delineating the, the menstrual cycle or phases of actually menopause because it's it takes about five to 10 years for that perimenopause period and another 10 years for that menopausal period, right? So it's a whole transition and delineating when that female is going through is just a whole another science in itself. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm still, I'm still learning as we go. And oh, interestingly, I know, and I'm, I'm conducting a study actually at St. Mary's. Um, I'm going to plug that in because <laughs> I will be looking for highly physically, well, not highly, moderately physically active participants in a menstrual cycle. So I'm going to, I might ping you guys to say, Hey, I need some people Please. to come see me at St. Mary's. <laughs> we'll see if we can do what we can to send you some subjects for that, especially yeah. if you're in the East. San Francisco, Oakland, yeah. East Bay area. Yes, uh, that'll happen about next. 510-415. We'll we'll see what we can do to help you out there. Uh, yeah, because no, as you're saying, we, we we need more studies done. Um, so because uh, the saying, the more you know, right? Exactly, and this one is actually um, on resistance training and females. So oh, uh, we're gonna, okay. yeah, resistance training and females, and we're actually. Uh, using the the delineation of the different uh, ratios of estrogen and progesterone in the menstrual cycle to find out what is going on. <laughs> with, All right. Well, um, you, yeah. you figure it out, Gigi. I need you to let me know. <laughs> <laughs> we're, well, we're all I, still trying to figure it out. We're like, what is going on here? So trying to put well, it out like, to find out. Yeah. It sounds like uh, we've got a follow-up topic here, Wendy, Gigi. Yes. So we'll, we'll definitely keep in touch. So I Gigi, Thank you so much for all the information. Um, I consider myself smarter now than I was uh, 40 minutes ago. So thank you for that. And uh, on behalf of Random Fit, thank you for being here. And hopefully our listeners got as much out of this uh, episode as I did, as always. Um, so, but uh, we'll definitely have to have you back on. So for those of you that are listening to us here on Random Fit, thank you so much for your time. And uh, hopefully, like I said, you, you took a little something away, especially when it comes to the female physiology and resistance training. So here we go. Like, follow, subscribe, download, share. Uh, let us know what you want us to talk about, and we'll be sure to get that on Random Fit. So until next time, everybody, take care and be well.